Oh, good morning. Gosh, there are quite a lot of you, aren't they? <laughs> when I sat down at the start of the service, I'm sure there wasn't that many people. Anyway, um, as Caitlin said, my name is Morag, and I'm one of the home group leaders here at Kingdom Vineyard. And I would just like to add my welcome to you here today. Um, we hope you all feel part of the family, no matter if it's your first time here or your 151st time here. Um, just as we were worshipping, um, I was just so aware of the privilege that we have um, to worship in safety. Um, to come, and it's just, it's just written large at the moment that what a, it's not something we can take for granted. Um, so I just want to say that our prayers and our thoughts are with the people of Christchurch this morning. Um, Jesus does have the victory and love does win. Well, after a brief time out last week, we're turning our attention back to the book of Acts. We've been taking our time going through this bit by bit through the book, and rightly so, as it's full of the stories of the early church, that it would be a shame to race through them. But my passage today is a mere seven verses from the start of chapter six. And at first glance, they may seem like an insignificant stepping stone between more meatier passages and stories. But I trust that we will hopefully learn something from them this morning. Let's just take a wee recap to get us up to speed with where we're at. Acts, also known as Acts of the Apostles, which just means Acts of the Sent Ones. And as we read on in the book, we'll see that this refers to more people than just the traditional 12 apostles. Acts is also part two of the writings of Luke, with his gospel being part one. These two books were only separated into two as each one was conveniently the length of a scroll. So the themes and points Luke's make, Luke makes in his gospel carry on into Acts as one continuous story of the coming and the advancing of the kingdom of God. Another interesting fact is that Luke is the only Gentile, that is non-Jewish writer in the Bible. This gives a certain slant to his writing. You will see again and again in Luke and Acts the importance of the inclusion of everyone in the kingdom of God. At this time, the Jews assumed that they were exclusively the people of God and were actually going out of their way to exclude other people and races in the name of keeping themselves pure. Luke loves to emphasize how in Jesus all that has changed. And now the marginalized, the poor, the traditionally excluded are very much included. The book of Acts charts the spread of the good news of Jesus outwards from Jerusalem. So far, we have seen Peter and John and others preaching and teaching, performing signs and wonders in and around the temple in Jerusalem. Their numbers are rapidly increasing and this has brought them to the not altogether positive attention of the temple authorities and Jerusalem society in general. They've been flogged, imprisoned, and warned not to preach in the name of Jesus. But the disciples consider this a reason for joy 
and carry on anyway. In the next few weeks, we're going to hear about the first big jump of the church beyond Jerusalem. But first, Luke has some new characters to introduce us to. And that's where we're at today. Our passage is from Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. And it will appear on the screen. Look at that, it's there already. But you can follow in your Bibles or Bible devices. I'm up with the technology. Anyway, the passage for today. Acts chapter 6. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Church growth can be hard. I've been blessed to be a part of a couple of church plants where the churches have been started from scratch, just as Toby and Carol did for us, what was it, 15, 6, 15 years ago now. Now, Church planting or being in a church plant is not for everyone, and some people would find that hard, but I absolutely loved it. I love these early days. You've got one home group of maybe just about eight people. You get to know each other so well, and generally everyone is so enthusiastic and willing to get stuck in. Then growth starts. People start to hear about you, Gathering events happen, the home group grows. 10 people, 16 people, 20 people. And then the horrors. You have to multiply into two or even more groups. I actually cried when we multiplied the first home group from the Almond Vineyard in Edinburgh. And when I come to think about it, I cried when we did it in Aberdeen too. I'm sorry, I love a small church. But I appreciate that it's not really the point. And God wants more people to come to know him. So our churches should be growing. I struggled as those church plants grew. But they grew nothing like at the rate the apostles were seeing in Acts. Their church growth was explosive. Growing in number daily in the thousands, that is going to have some growing pains. 
in the church plants, both um, David and Liz in Edinburgh and Peter and Rosemary in Aberdeen, they had plans to deal with increasing numbers. They were training leaders from day one and they were looking at venues, putting in place all the checks for, for kids' work, etc., etc. But the apostles, they could not have expected the huge growth in, in such a short time. And as we see in today's passage, they had to do a bit of catching up and putting some structures in place for the day-to-day running of things. In verse 1 in the passage, we read that a problem has arisen with the daily distribution. If you're reading it in the NIV, this would say the daily distribution of food, but it may have included more than just food. It was part of the Jewish custom that there would be regular collections of money and food for anyone in need. And this would be given out in what was known as the daily distribution. On becoming believers in Jesus, it is very likely that the widows and those in need would no longer receive this help from the temple or the synagogue. And it would be up to the new fledgling church to fill the gap. But as you may remember from chapter four, this was already the practice of the new church. They had everything in common. And it says in chapter four, verses 34 and 35, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. However, there is a problem. Tensions seem to have arisen between Hellenists and Hebrews. These groups are both Jewish, but separated mainly on the basis of language, in that the Hellenists would be Greek speakers and the Hebrews would speak mainly Aramaic. Jerusalem was a melting pot of Jews, both native-born and those from around the world, many apparently returning in their twilight years in order to be buried in the promised land. There will be cultural differences that these diaspora would bring with them from around the world. And again, as we are all too aware, when there are differences between people that are not understood or not easily communicated because of language problems, tensions can arise easily and can quickly escalate. As I say, these two groups were both Jewish, but also people with cultural and language differences who are thrown together in an expectation of melding into one community. The church will continue to need to address this issues in Acts as the message spreads among the Gentiles into the non-Jewish world. This seems to be a small indication of problems that are to come. So, the 12 apostles come up with a plan to get the community of believers to come up with leaders who they trust to deal with this situation. The qualifications stipulated for those leaders are that they be of good repute, are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, i.e. they get it and are all in, as Jim might say. They'll be able to tell from the way that they live their lives. Their names are 
Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. The first named leaders in the church after the apostles, and they are in charge of compassion ministry. The first storehouse coordinators. And I'm actually, I was just looking around this morning, and we have four out of five storehouse coordinators here this morning. So let's just give it, we've given Stephen and Philip and the guys a name check. So let's name check Jacqueline and Jane and Scott and me. Uh, and the one who's missing is Rebecca as well. So there we go. We've got our, we've got our um, first storehouse coordinators here. Compassion, the distribution of food, goods and money to those in need was one of the first things the early church put in place. It was in with the bricks. In fact, it was one of the bricks with which the church was built. Do you think it might be important? For the note takers, this is point one. Compassion is important and it needs the Holy Spirit. The qualifications required for the job were to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And speaking personally, and I'm sure Scott, Jane, and Jacqueline would agree, you couldn't do it without them. The first task facing these new leaders was to sort out a tricky situation, to deal with hurt feelings and a potential rift. Compassion ministry is frontline stuff. Sometimes the first and maybe even the only time some people will come in contact with the church will be through a compassion ministry. People come in crisis situations with all their hurt and baggage and preconceived ideas of fairness and entitlement. And it's not just your reputation or even the church's reputation that's on the line. At that moment, you are Jesus's representative to them. And that can only be done through the Holy Spirit. It's too big a responsibility to bear without him, but with him, it is a joy and a privilege. Yes, the qualification for compassion ministry is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The good news is that all believers are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the only other qualification is a willingness to serve. And by the way, a couple of these guys are going to get up to some really cool things and scary things in the next few chapters. They didn't just stick to distributing food, as important as that is. They also did signs and wonders through the Holy Spirit and brought people to faith. So you might want to get Scott to pray for you this morning. Back to the passage again. The disciples say in verse 2 that it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables, which I think at first glance doesn't bear up my point that compassion ministry is important, as the disciples clearly don't value it as highly as preaching. Maybe that's why I moved from storehouse to here. No, 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 not at all. And I don't think that's what the disciples were saying either. The word used for serving tables 
is the same word they used to describe their own ministry of the word in verse 4. Both are service. Both are needed and both are valued. I think the apostles are exercising wise leadership in recognizing what it is their job to do and what is not their job to do, allowing others with different gifts and skills to serve where their strengths lie. And this is my next point. Jim and Rachel can't do everything. I can talk about them because they're not here. (laughs) The apostles recognized that there was just not enough hours in the day to be across every aspect of church life and they decided what their priorities were, which were prayer and the ministry of the word. In home groups, we're looking at a book called Everyday Supernatural. But do you know what? It doesn't have a chapter on being superhuman. In many places, the Bible tells us that we all have different gifts and that we are all needed to do our bit as the body of Christ. See, particularly 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This means that nobody is expected to do it all. We're actually designed to need one another. Jim and Rachel can't do everything. They need Jesse to run the office. They need Caitlin to do our communications. They need home group leaders to share the pastoral load. Jesse needs the worship team. Laura needs the Kingdom Vineyard Vineyard Kids team. Our senior pastors will be the best senior pastors if we allow them to use their gifts and not be burdened by things that could and should be done by other people. But I'm not, I don't want to get us on a guilt trip about this. But what I'm asking for is a recognition and a management of expectation so that we don't break our senior pastors. They are truly gifted, servant-hearted leaders, and I want us to treasure them. If they come to us and say, these are the things we want to make our priorities, like the apostles did, I hope we can find our Stevens, our Phillips and friends to take on what they can't. I would also like you to know that none of you are superhuman either. You can't do everything. Not even you, Ian. (laughs) But I also want to acknowledge that you may have gifts and skills that lie outside the church. And as a part of a body all doing our bit, I need those of you who are working in the NHS. I need those of you raising the next generation, those in education at any level, the innovators, the politicians, especially the politicians, the social workers, the artists, the writers, the economists, the council workers. Basically, we need those with the same qualifications that we have for those in compassion ministry to be filled with the Holy Spirit in every walk of life. In Acts, the kingdom of God is about to explode beyond Jerusalem and out into the whole world. It is still doing the same today. The kingdom of God is expanding from inside the church. It's not meant to be contained. 
into the whole world. In verse 7, Luke gives us one of his summary statements. It says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is coming to the end of the part of Acts focused on Jerusalem. The growth of the church here has been phenomenal, even to the inclusion of priests who had been first been part of the strong opposition to the faith. And my final point today is inclusion, inclusion, inclusion. Church growth is uncomfortable. And as I told you earlier, I haven't always been the best in dealing with it. But my expectation is that as the word of God continues to increase in East Fife, this church will grow. We may well find people who have previously been hostile to the church joining us. We may find people with different backgrounds, different cultural and day-to-day norms than us in our home groups. But my expectation also is that we would become one community, one family, despite any differences. And I pray that any tensions that arise could be dealt with in as wise a way as they were dealt with in today's passage. People will bring into the church all the same issues that we see in every walk of life. We are not immune. But we can, with the Holy Spirit's help, learn to disagree and still love each other and to include even when it's uncomfortable. I absolutely love the way this church welcomes new people and visitors. I am so proud of you and I would be happy to bring anyone I know to this church. So let's protect that precious, precious gift. Luke loved the inclusivity of the kingdom of God. The good news of Jesus is that he has made a way for everyone, absolutely everyone, to come to God. He has promised the Holy Spirit to everyone who believes in him. So if there's anyone here today that feels on the margins or somehow excluded, Jesus invites you to meet him today. He will not turn you away. You are so welcome. So we'll invite you up for prayer in just a moment. And if you're wondering about how God can use you or how you can serve God, the only qualifications are to be filled with the Spirit and to be willing. So if you would like to be filled with the Spirit, filled up with the Spirit, topped up with the Spirit, a touch from the Spirit in any way, again, we would invite you to come up for prayer in a moment. But why don't you stand and I'll pray for us. Thank you, Jesus. 
that you loved so much that you died for us. Thank you that you are now raised to life and are sitting at the right hand of God, interceding for us. Thank you that that means you now pour out your Holy Spirit on everyone. Come Holy Spirit, fill us afresh and send us with your blessing into the world to carry your kingdom. In Jesus' precious name, amen.